We are in Psalm 22 this evening. Uh, you can find that on page number 539 of the Pew Bibles. And we will be reading the entire psalm. Hear the word of the Lord. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest Yet, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Oh, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. 
May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this Good Friday, and we do remember that it was you who sent your Son, and then he willingly came to suffer and die for our sins, that we might know you, that we might be brought into your kingdom to live for you. And yet, Father, we still need you every moment of every day, and we need you tonight to help us understand your word. So please illumine our hearts and our minds that we may worship Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote a poem called uh, The Conquered Hymn. And in the poem, he said that the Revolutionary War started with a shot heard round the world. We all know that nobody on the other side of the world heard that shot. The poet W.H. Auden once described his undying love this way. He said, I'll love you, dear, I'll love you, till China and Africa meet, and the river jumps over the mountain, and the salmon sing in the street. Salmon don't sing. Rivers don't jump over mountains. And barring some unforeseen geopolitical revolution, China and Africa will never meet. This is um, called hyperbole or exaggeration. It's a very common way of using words in poetry uh, to capture the depth of human experience that there would really be no other way of describing. And that's because there are times when words fail us. There are times when it's just impossible to describe what we're feeling and what we're experiencing in a straightforward way. No one has ever felt like the color blue. No one has ever been on cloud nine. No one has ever literally been head over heels or on pins and needles. But these idioms help us. They help us say something true. And thankfully, language is elastic in this way. We can stretch it and twist it and still be honest. We're saying something true even if the actual words we're using are absurd or impossible. And that is what David is doing in Psalm 22. And in so doing, he writes a Psalm of David. It'll be our first point. And then a psalm for us. And finally, a psalm of Jesus Christ. 
So this is a psalm that for the first 21 verses, uh, David tells us about an experience of such torment and terror that matches no known experience of King David and his life. And so he's clearly stretching the language here to capture the essence of what he's feeling for us. He begins the psalm with these words. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what David writes here is clearly hyperbole. This is clearly an exaggeration because it is absolutely impossible for someone to be able to say, God, you are my God. And for God to forsake them. Later in Psalm 37, also written by David, he says this. He says, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. You see, if God has forsaken someone, it's because that person was never really a child of God to begin with. Speaking to Moses, after 40 years of wandering in the desert, right before God led the people of Israel into the promised land, God says this to Moses. He says, behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. So Moses is about to die, and God wants Moses to know what's going to happen to this people when they go into the promised land. He says, then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me. And break my covenant that I have made with them. And then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them. And hide my face from them. And they will be devoured. So first, they will forsake me, God says. They will break my covenant. They will prove that they don't really know me. That they don't really trust me. That they don't have faith in me. And then and only then will I forsake them. Only when it is very clear that he is not their God and they are not his people will God ever forsake someone. They may have been a branch in the vine, but they were not connected to it. They weren't receiving their life from it, so they dried up and eventually they were taken away. So to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is like saying that a gunshot can be heard around the world or that somehow China and Africa can meet. It's absolutely impossible. No one can truly say, my God, and be forsaken by God at the same time. So the only thing that this could mean in Psalm 22 is that it feels to David as if God has forsaken him. And it's not just that he can't find God, it's worse. It, it feels like God is actually gone. Like there's, there's really just no reason to go looking for him because he's just not there. Have you ever walked into your house when you expected someone to be home? And as soon as you close the door behind you, you feel this eerie silence and stillness and you just know that there's nobody home. You don't even have to go look around. You just know the house is empty. That's what David's soul is like, except infinitely worse because God is the source of life. So if you can't find him, 
there's no life. David goes on, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. So this is, this is agony. Day and night, night and day, groaning. Or literally roaring. This is the same word translated later in verse 13, roar like a lion. It could also be translated screaming. There's no rest, there's no relief. And this is an agony that we all know, too, to some degree. We all know what, it, what it's like when it feels like God is absent. Like walking into the silence and the stillness of our own soul and no one's home. We pray, it feels like we're talking to ourselves. I've heard people say, it's like my prayers are hitting the ceiling. And it's worse when we're suffering. Because not only is God not there, but because we're going through such heartache in life, we, we, we start to wonder, does he even care? The sadness and sorrow doesn't end. The pain doesn't go away. The relationships are still distant. And the longer it goes on, the more we're tempted to despair. Speaking of David's cry here, uh, John Calvin uh, writes this in his commentary on Psalm 22. He says, There is not one of the godly who does not daily experience in himself the same thing. There's not one of the godly that does not daily experience in himself the same thing according to the judgment of the flesh or according to the judgment of our experience. He thinks he is cast off and forsaken by God while yet he apprehends by faith the grace of God, which is hidden from the eye of sense and reason. So David is describing a normal experience here in verse 1. And if all we had to judge by was our flesh or our experience, we would, we would think that God really did forsake us. But, as Calvin points out, by faith we can apprehend the grace of God. Even though his presence is hidden from our senses and our reason, by faith we can still know that he is with us. And faith is actually the thing that's being exercised when we are longing for him to break through that wall into our senses and reason. The psalm shows us that we can cry out to God by day and night, groaning and roaring and screaming and pleading with him to give us rest because by faith we know that we belong to him and that he is our God and that we are his people. Which is why in verses three through five, David goes on to remind himself of God's faithfulness to his people. But then down in verse 9, David reminds himself of God's faithfulness to him personally. He writes this, he says, Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. You see how David knows? Even though he's experiencing this, by faith he knows 
And then in between these declarations of faith, David continues to cry out to God and to describe what he's going through with more poetic hyperbole. He feels mocked. He feels surrounded by people that he describes as dogs and bulls. And they apparently want him dead. And then in verse 14, he writes this. He says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my heart. And again, we know David did not turn into a puddle. His heart did not really melt. But when we read these words, we we feel his weakness. We feel his desperation. It, It feels like he's on the verge of death if God doesn't save him. It's like the life is draining out of his body. And this pattern of crying out to God and then confessing his faith and then describing his situation, it continues all the way until verse 21 when he writes, you have rescued me. Finally, a moment comes when God does break through into his sense and into his reason and he is filled with gratitude and praise and worship. And you can just feel the relief in his soul as he goes on to write, for God has not despised or abhorred the afflicted, the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. And then the psalm ends with soaring praise to God that reaches to the ends of the earth and down to future generations. One of the beauties of this psalm is that it is also a psalm for us. So why is it that We fear God has forsaken us. Why is that such a common experience for the faithful and the godly? How come it's so common that John Calvin can write, there is not one of the godly who does not daily experience it? And I think one of the reasons is because we know that we're all covenant breakers. Remember earlier what God told Moses right before the people entered the promised land. He said this. He said, They will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them, and then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them. I just read through Deuteronomy in my own personal daily worship. And reading things like this, we can't think, with, think to ourselves, like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> that's that's kind of like me. Every single one of us has broken his covenant. Every single one of us has forsaken God. Let's just think about the first commandment. To love the Lord your God. To have no other gods before you, besides him. So he's, he's supposed to be at the center of our thoughts, the center of our time, To truly keep this commandment, we pay attention to his will and his ways and his wonders with every breath we take. We're to pray without ceasing. He's to be our main hope, our main desire. Our constant dream should be of spending time with him and spending eternity with him and living every moment of our lives to please him. That's That's just beginning to describe what it would look like to keep the first commandment. Not to mention all the rest never taking his name in vain, always 
worshiping when he wants and how he wants, never being sinfully angry, never lying, never lusting, never stealing, and never being jealous of what God has given to someone else. And so when we read these words from Deuteronomy, that the people God forsakes are covenant breakers, we can't help but wonder, is that me? Have I sinned so badly? Have I broken his covenant so much and so often that God has forsaken me? Is that why it feels like he's left me? And I believe most of us still soldier on faithfully in the midst of these doubts because we don't know what else to do. But maybe we wonder, have I proven with my sin that I never really knew him or trusted him or had any faith in him, that I was never really connected to the vine? See, this is why the feeling of God's absence is so awful. Because if we're honest, we know that we deserve it. All we have to do is just read the Bible on our own and we can't help but wonder, am I abusing the grace of God? Am I lying to myself of ever having tasted it in the first place? Have I sinned too much to be counted as one of his children? I know my heart. I know my thoughts. I know my desires. I know what I've done. I know what I do. So it makes sense that God is absent, right? That my prayers are hitting the ceiling. And this is why throughout the entire book of Psalms, we find prayers like this. Psalm 27, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. And then later in Psalm 119, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. So it's comforting, (laughs) to read in Psalm 22 and, and know that David was not actually forsaken. It's, it's comforting to know that even though he was in great anguish, he could still reach out by faith and cling to God's promises and to God's faithfulness. And it's wonderful when this psalm ends in this soaring cascade of praise. And this pattern encourages us that if we too, like David, continue to cling to God in faith, trusting his promises to be with us and to forgive us, that one day our faith will become sight too, and one day we will also break out into a never-ending symphony of praise. But in the meantime, What do we do with that sinking, sneaking suspicion that we do deserve to be forsaken? And that is why this is also a psalm of Jesus Christ. About a thousand years after this was written, God himself came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, and on the cross, he took the words of this psalm on his mouth. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And because he was perfect and sinless, because he never had any other gods before him, because he did not deserve to be forsaken, he was able to cry out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for both things to be true. 
This was the real shot heard around the world. This was the moment when Africa and China met. Because on the cross, God did forsake Jesus. And yet, because Jesus was sinless and perfect, God could still be his God. He had earned the right for God to still be his God and be forsaken at the very same time, somehow. And David writes a poem to describe the agony of his felt experience. And then a thousand years later, Jesus took that poem and it became his literal experience. Psalm 22 is also a literal prophecy. Not only did God remain the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ while he hung on the cross because of his perfect righteousness, but he was forsaken by God at the exact same time. And he was forsaken by God because we deserve to be forsaken. That sinking, sneaking suspicion that we deserve to be forsaken is true. And every time we doubt that God might have forsaken us because of our sin, all we have to do is look at the cross and see the perfect Son of God, the perfect sacrifice for our sins, being forsaken by God, and we can know we can know that we will never be forsaken because he was forsaken in our place. That his death and his suffering are our death and our suffering. And even better, his perfect righteousness becomes ours too. So all of our sin goes on his shoulders and his robes of righteousness go around our shoulders. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, For our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yes, we have all abused the grace of God. We all deserve to be forsaken. But God in his unlimited mercy comes near to us in Jesus and he becomes one of us and he is forsaken by God in our place. And in so doing, Paul says this, Christ redeemed us, or he bought us, or he purchased us out of slavery from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And so now when we look at Christ, no matter what we experience in this life, no matter how we feel, no matter how we've sinned, no matter what is happening, we can rest in the work of Jesus on the cross. We can know and trust in Jesus, that we have peace with God, that he is with us, and that he will never leave us or forsake us, even when it feels like he has. But Jesus didn't just literally fulfill verse 1 of Psalm 22. He actually literally fulfilled poetic imagery throughout the psalm. In verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 22, David wrote this. He said, all those, sorry, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. So that was Psalm 22, written a thousand years before Jesus. And now this is Matthew 27, 39 through 43. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, 
and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him. Psalm 22:15 says this, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, which is just a piece of broken pottery, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. And then while he hung on the cross, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill scriptures, I thirst. You see, his tongue was literally stuck to his jaw. He was truly in the dust of death. Psalm 22 also says, For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And so as Jesus hung naked on the cross with nails through his hands and his feet, we read this. The soldiers took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was, was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scriptures which says, they divided my garments among them, and from my clothing they cast lots. So Psalm 22 was written a thousand years before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And the same God who prophesied in detail his own agony on the cross for sinners like you and me is the same God who promises to forgive all of our sins if we will but turn to him in repentance and faith. And then he transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, and he is the same God who promises to keep us in the faith until the end. And he's the same God who assures us with these words to close out Psalm 22. That all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Remember Jesus' words on the cross, it is finished. Right? This is just another way of saying that. He has done it. We have not done it. He has done it all. He is our hope. He is our redeemer. And he is our king. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again this evening in prayer. And we thank you we thank you that because of what Christ has done, we can rest no matter if we feel daily abandoned by you, no matter if you, your presence is far outside of our sense or our reason, we can, through the eyes of faith, look to Christ on the cross and remember and believe that you love us and that you have saved us, and that you are saving us, and that you will save us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.